Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Verse 20, let's read verses 20 through 23, Daniel 9, and then we will just look at some of it in a little more detail. I hope we can get through everything tonight that I have here. I think we should, because we need to look at this again next week, and then the week after that, we've got to move on. So we'll get all we can out of it in the time that we have. Verses 20 through 23. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth uh, to give thee skill and understanding. And at at the beginning of, of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Now, we don't know how long Daniel was praying. Um, I guess I would assume... It, it wasn't just a quick, you know, let's just get this over with kind of prayer. He was probably spending some time in prayer. That's just my guess. We don't know how long. Uh, we don't know if it started in the morning and went to the evening oblation <laughs> or, you know, at afternoon or, or, you know, I have no idea. No idea how long he was going on this way. But verse 21 says that Gabriel was caused to fly swiftly. And then, of course, in Verse 23 said at the beginning of Daniel's supplication, this commandment was given to him. Uh, The Lord was concerned with Daniel's prayer and supplications. We already talked about it, so I'm not going to rehash it. Uh, But he's concerned with yours also. He's concerned with mine. It'd be nice if we acted like it. (laughs) Amen, Brother Thomas. Um, so I, I hope prayer is an integral part of your, your life. Now, just a side note, 
let's look at this. The man Gabriel. Is Gabriel a man or an, an-, or an angel? Both. He's an angel who is a male. In fact, there it's likely there are no female angels. So, sorry. <laughs> there might be some fallen ones. Uh. <laughs> the black ones. <laughs> I knew that was going to come in here <laughs> eventually. <laughs> I can't take you people nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is common in Scripture. You know, so you, you have the cherubim and the seraphim, and they're wild looking. All right, you, you know, Satan is a cherubim, and he's got music built in, pipes and music built into his body, um, likely has wings and all these things. You read about those seraphim in the book of Revelation, and they have, you know, four faces, the face of an ox, face of a lion, face of a man, face of an eagle. They have wings, multiple wings. And, and I mean, the bo- they have the body of a man, but, you know, feet of, what was it, a feet of a, was it a cow or, or, or an ox or something like that? I don't remember exactly what their feet looked like. But you're describing these wild-looking creatures I don't even know why the Lord says, here's the body of a man, because nothing else <laughs> matches the body of a man. Uh, but then when it comes to angels, right, so you, you have these, as far as we know, in heaven, these three beings, cher, is it you, bim, uh, seraphim, and angels. Well, these just look like men. I mean, it's, I know that's boring, and it doesn't match all the movies and the pictures. It's like, well, I mean, they got to have wings, right? No, they don't have wings. They don't need them. They get by without them. Um, yeah, but they, I mean, there has to be something, like, comic book superhero-ish about them. <laughs> I mean, they fight unclean spirits, and one angel took out 185,000 men in a night. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, I, mean, I don't know what else you need them to do. Uh, I mean, they don't shoot, as far as I know, lightning from their, their eyes or, you know, they don't have blades coming out of their hand and all this other stuff that you see in comic books. But uh, they're pretty incredible. Uh, but if you saw one, according to the Bible, you might not know you saw one. Now, sometimes if they present themselves in their glory, you'll know you saw one. And when people saw them to that effect, they often fell on their face and the angel said, no, please get up before God kills me. <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> uh, but if you saw them, if, they, if an angel walked in that door right now, here, you, like, can we help you? <laughs> do you need something? Um, are you lost? You'd have no idea it was an angel. The Bible says we, it is likely we have entertained angels unawares. Now, that terrifies me. Because I don't like people. And that means that I probably saw an angel. <laughs> and was like, what do you want? <laughs> Leave me alone. And so uh, I hope not. I hope that I never saw one. But um, uh, look at Genesis 18. We'll see it a few, a few more times real fast. Just this idea. Genesis 18 verses 1 through 2. Verse 1, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. 
And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee for thy servant. Now, who is Abraham seeing? He sees three men, but who are these three men? One is the Lord, and the other two are angels coming along with them to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, Abraham's sitting in his tent. He's like, man, it's hot. Who is that? That's the Lord. (laughs) And he jumps up and he's like, let me fix you some food. Sarah, start cooking. (laughs) Uh, So we know what Quinto will be doing. But... um, (laughs) Um, so he, he sees these three angels, and it's, it's three men. That's what it looks like coming to him. And um, people have a hard time with this verse. They say, well, you know, no man has seen the Lord at any time. That, that verse is the odd one out because multiple people saw the Lord multiple times. So the, the difficult verse is that one. The rest of them, are they hear that Abraham ate with God, and they're like, well, how can that be? And no man has seen God. Like, no. You need to figure out what to do with that verse, not with the multiple verses where people... It says the whole nation of Israel sat on the side of a mountain and ate lunch with God. Uh, I mean, multiple times people... I mean, Jesus Christ, uh, you know, the, the apostles are like, you know, show us the Father. And he's like, have I not been with you this whole time? I mean, <laughs> it's like, I'm right here. And, uh, and so, so the odd verse is that no man has seen God. That, that's the one you got to figure out what to do with and, and not... Multiple people saw God. So there they are. Here, here's Abraham cooking lunch for, for the Lord. Now, whether this is Jesus Christ himself and a, pre, you know, a precarnate Jesus Christ or just God in general. I mean, that's, it's your guess is as good as anybody else's. But um, here's the Lord sitting down with Abraham and then starts having this conversation. Should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? <laughs> and then Abraham's like, oh, if I have found favor, let me just one question. And then 20 questions later, if you find two righteous, we, we not. <laughs> and then he sees Sodom and Gomorrah go up in smoke. Like, well, I tried. Uh, I guess there was nobody there. Uh, John 20, let's look at another one. Uh, are these two together? Get John 20 and Luke 24 together. John 20 and Luke 24. We'll look at John 20 first. All right, John 20 and uh, verse, verses 11 and 12. This is the, the, the Lord has risen and Mary's on her way to the, or she's at the sepulcher. Uh, verse 11, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping and as she wept, she, she stooped down and looked in to, in to see the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, at, 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 uh, sitting the one at the head and uh, the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. So Mary gets there and she looks inside. Jesus is gone and she sees two angels, right? right so whatever, whatever she saw, she recognized them as angels. Now look at Luke 24. 
verses one, we'll read verses 1 through 9. Um, now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away up from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? You know, the question today would be the opposite. Why seek ye the dead among the living? You know, it's like, I'm going to go to Muhammad to get life. Muhammad's dead. Why would you go to a dead man and hope you could find life? I follow the Pope. Which one? They all die. And they're not coming back. Well, I'm, I'm a Buddhist. <laughs> Buddha died and you're going to die. They're all dead. Why would you try to find life from dead men? And here these angels ask a very sensible question. Why are you looking for a dead man? He's alive. He told you he was going to be alive. He's gone back to Galilee like he told you he was going to do. And so, and so here we have angels look like men. To the extent that if, one, if you saw one walking down the street, you, you would have no idea that, that he was an angel. Not unless he made himself known as an angel. You would have no clue. All right, let's go back to Daniel 9. Daniel 9, and let's read verses 24 through 27 again. I know we've read them, but we're going to read them again and again and again. And it might be good for you to memorize them and to know them, be familiar with them. 24 through 27. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to, and to build Jerusalem. Notice it says restore and build, not rebuild. That's very interesting. And, that, and that's exactly what Nehemiah said when he talked to Artaxerxes. He said, I want to go build the city, not rebuild it. You would think that the, the words would be rebuild, but it's very specific. So, And to build Jerusalem unto, unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. But not for himself, and or the people of the prince shall, that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall con- confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even until the consummation uh, that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. All right. The prophecy regarding the 70 weeks is one of the most important in the Bible. If you can say that, you know, and I speak as a man, but it is, it is very, very important. It locks us into a prophetic chronology that cannot be violated. Now, we, we talked about the six reasons, but we're going to go through them in a little more depth right now. We just listed them. And so 
There's six reasons for the 490 years. Number one, to finish the transgression. This 490 years will be used to finish the transgression for Israel and Jerusalem. Not us, not Gentiles, Israel and Jerusalem. Everybody say that out loud with enthusiasm. Israel and Jerusalem. One of you said it like Nehemiah before Artaxerxes, like all sad. And <laughs> no. um, it's just it's important to keep the context. The context is 490 years, 70 weeks determined upon Daniel's people and Daniel's city. And if you don't do that, you're going to end up all twisted up and confused and not knowing what happened or where you went. This period of time have no reference to the church or the Gentiles. Again, certain outlying events might have some impact on the church or the, or, or the Gentiles, but the ultimate purpose of this period is to deal with Israel. The wording, even with regard to the Messiah being cut off, is meant to be explained from a Jewish perspective with political and national implications. Right? This is not a spiritual situation where Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again according to the Scriptures. This is Messiah was cut off. It's done. The king was killed, is what they're saying. Right? So this is not the Savior coming to save souls. This is the Messiah who they were supposed to be loyal to, who, who said to them, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We have no king but Caesar. Okay, so be it. Now, we would complete the idea, if it was us, with his burial and his resurrection, we, we would apply it, we would give this... We would put this in the context of the kingdom of God, not in the context of the kingdom of heaven. Daniel 9 is putting this in the context of the kingdom of heaven directly related to the Jews. And that's, that's, the way, that's why the wording is the way it is. Um, the events related to the 70 weeks will be used to finish Israel's transgression. As far as the church is concerned, our transgressions are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Gentiles are in possession of the kingdom of heaven. Their transgressions will, will be forgiven in Christ or they will die in their sins. God has no future plan on how to you know, restore the Gentiles. <laughs> you got time to trust in Jesus Christ, you better do it. That's it. That's your opportunity. You're a Gentile. You have no lineage that, they, that, that goes back to God. God said, I chose Israel all you did was stumble around in darkness until I sent either Israel or my church. That's it. Now, God is taking out of the Gentiles this body, and he's building this body, but there is no future plan. The future plan for the Gentiles is to smash an image that means breaking their power. <laughs> that's, the, that's the future of the Gentiles. All right, so you don't... You, that's why you don't want to be a black Christian or a white Christian or an American Christian you just want to be a Christian. You just want to belong to Jesus. Because he might come along and say, oh, that, that skin color mean a lot to you? <laughs> or do you want to stay in your flesh? No. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> that means nothing to me. Okay, well then shut up about it. I'm proud to be an American. Okay, you want to stay there? I mean, no. I mean, there versus heaven, there versus being with you? No, <laughs> not at all. Well, then shut up. 
That has, that's, that's not, you're not here building a physical kingdom that Jesus is going to come back and destroy anyways. You're building the kingdom of God. You're preaching the gospel. You're getting people out of their flesh and into the body of Christ. And once they come out of that flesh and they're no longer attached to that flesh and they're in the body of Christ, well, why would you boast about being, why would you boast about your flesh when Jesus Christ shed his blood to remove you from the trouble your flesh causes you? People are so proud, like, wow, I'm, I'm a black Christian. That flesh is the reason Jesus Christ had to die. Why would you attach it to Christ? Christian means a, a Christ one. Now you're a black Christ one or a white Christ one or a Chinese Christ one. Why would you do that? All right, so no, I'm, I, I belong to Jesus Christ. I don't care about my skin color. Having skin color is not an accomplishment in life. Like, I don't understand how this becomes such a... Uh, you know, I'm part of the white race. Your mom popped you out that color. You didn't do anything to achieve that. There's no, that's not an accomplishment in life. All right, so, so you belong to Jesus Christ. That's the end of it. And, and we're going to look at that. The Bible explicitly says that. There, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no Gentile in Christ Jesus. So you better choose one. Well, I'm a black, I'm a black Christian. No, what you're saying is I'm a Gentile. You better choose which side you're on because Jesus Christ, if he were to take that personally, might come and give you what you're asking for. And you don't want it. You want to be in Christ Jesus. Done. Yeah, but what color is he? I don't care. He's washed in the blood. He's red. <laughs> He's blood red. He's crimson. That's what color he is. And that's it. That's the end of it. All right. Now we would complete the idea. Or that, that's a whole other matter. Let's move on. So. The, um, the Gentiles are in possession of the kingdom of heaven. There is no future plan for what's going to happen to them other than you better trust in Jesus. But the Lord has a very specific plan to deal with Israel's transgressions. And it includes the 490 years of chastisement that culminates in a final seven-year period that is torturous. Their transgression will be finished when they finally call upon God in the midst of great tribulation. The church will be saved out of tribulation. We're not, we're not going through tribulation. We're not going into it. We're going to be, we are saved from the wrath to come. Right? That's, that's not our future. Israel's going into that tribulation and, and they're, going to, they're going to feel the full brunt of all of it. Uh, and if you're a lost person who refused to trust in Jesus Christ now and the tri- tribulation begins tomorrow, God bless you. I hope you figure it out, but you're going through it, and it's not going to be good. You don't have enough guns. You don't have enough food. It's not going to be good. If you do have enough guns and enough food, somebody's going to take it from you. So it's still not going to be good. It's not going to work. There's people that are like, I'm a prepper. I have all this food. I just, I'll save up all this food. If people find out you have food, they're coming to rob you. Everybody's starving, and they can't, t- they can't get food unless they take the mark of the beast. You think they're just going to, oh, I wish I had that guy's food. No, a whole band of them are going to come and take your food. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's hopeless. It, trust in Jesus Christ. That's where your help is. That's where your hope is. You try anything outside of that, you're, putting your, you're setting yourself up for failure. And it's not going to go well. Uh, their transgression will be finished when they call on the Lord. All right, number two. To make an end of sin. Again, a reference to the sins of Daniel's people. A list of sins that Daniel has just been praying. 
Remember we read through that last week? You know, they, they rejected your prophets. They rejected you. They rejected your word. They broke the law of Moses. They're rebellious. They're, their iniquity, their transgression, their sin. I mean, just, he's just rattling it all, all off. That's all going to be dealt with here. It's like the Lord saying, thanks, Daniel. I'll add that to my list. <laughs> That's another 90 years. Can you add that? <laughs> um, but God's going to deal with their sin. And, and this 490 years is part of it. Look real quick. Hold your place in Daniel, but look at Romans 11. Romans 9, 10, and 11 deal specifically with God's future plans for Israel. It's amazing. God writes the book of Romans, which is the, the greatest, most detailed explanation of what Christianity is. And right in the middle of it, he drops, oh, yeah, and I still have future plans for the Jews. Here's three chapters to tell you what they are. And then he goes right back to dealing with Christians. It's, it's incredible. It's unbelievable the way God was able to do this. Uh, verses 25 through 27. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be, be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Sion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall, what does that say? Take away their sins. And so the, the, the second reason given for this 490 years is to make an end of sin. But God's not just going to take it away and say, okay, everything's all right now. No, you, you got 490 years of chastisement, then I'll take it away. You got 490 years of pain, of, of being tortured, of being gassed, of being killed, of, of being persecuted. Then I'll take it away. And, and it's a direct result of, their, of, of a couple thousand years of direct disobedience to, to their God. And, and they refuse to get things right. So here we are late in the book of Romans and Israel is still in their sin. If Israel's still in their sin, what does that mean? That last week, the seven years has not happened. So half of it hasn't happened. Part of it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. It's God's future plan for Israel. It, we're after the resurrection of Jesus Christ late in the book of Romans. And, and, and the Lord's saying, oh, yeah, I still have to deal with the sins of Israel, but I will. I, I'll, I'll get to it. Israel remains in a state of chastisement until their deliverer comes. And, of course, that deliverer is the Messiah that was cut off. You know, they, they, it's, the wording is so abrupt. Messiah, the prince, he was cut off. But then when you read in Zechariah 13 or 14, what are these wounds in thy hand? Well, these are the wounds you gave me. These are, the, these are they what I, which I received in the house of my friends. You did this to me. And they just, they just begin weeping. It, he offered you the kingdom. No, we don't want that. We have Caesar. We don't need you. Okay, you need me. But it's going to take a little more intensity before you finally call upon me. And, and when things are about to be, the, the houses are being you know, rifled, the women are being ravaged, everybody's about to die, it's about, it's about to be over, Jesus Christ, Christ comes back and, and puts down their enemies, and they're like, wow, who are you? <laughs> what are those wounds in your hand? 
uh, these are the same wounds I got when you nailed me to the cross. And so it's, it's coming, but it, it, they're just not there yet. Not, not, not till God has to turn the heat up to such an intensity before they finally say, where's the Lord? <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, they'll be ashamed of themselves when they see it is the same Jesus they rejected so long ago. That's, that's Revelation 1. It, the, Revelation 1, 7. Everyone's going to weep when they see him. Out of every kindred, every nation, every tongue, when they see him come, they're going to weep. And, and it, it's, that's going to be an intense moment. I can hardly read that verse in Zechariah and it not almost break me. What are these wounds in thy hands? These are they which I received in the house of my friends. But that's unbelievable wording and terminology. And what makes it so incredible and so difficult is it's 100% true. And it's going to happen. Number three, to make reconciliation for iniquity. The church is composed of reconciled individuals who have trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Israel has not been reconciled. That day is coming. We just read that in Revelation or in, in Romans 11. Uh, a day is coming when I'm going to deal with their sin. I'm, I'm, I'm going to restore them. Hasn't come yet. Right? And so until that day comes, uh, the church has been reconciled. Israel has not. Look at Isaiah 5. Uh, no, that's... That's the wrong verse. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, and, and this is speaking more broadly to everyone. Isaiah 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now the context of this is Christ dying on the cross. And when he did that, he paid for the sins of the entire world, Jew, Gentile, everybody's. And so because of that, you can escape who you are in your flesh through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and become part of the body of Christ. Right now, if you don't do that, then you will be dealt with according to your flesh and according to your works. That's not going to go well for you. Now, if you're Israel... God has a specific plan for that. If you're a Gentile, you stand before God. Oh, his name's not in the Lamb's book of life. You're dying the second death. Cast him in the lake of fire. It's over. So there's no future place for, for Gentiles other than heaven or hell. That's it. You trusted in Jesus Christ or you died in your own sins. Now, reconciliation is available, but only for individuals who would trust in Jesus. Jews could remove themselves from this prophetic timetable by joining the body of Christ. Well, how do you join the body of Christ? Believe the gospel. Trust in his death, burial, and resurrection. It doesn't matter who you are. If you will do that, you will be removed from who you are in the flesh and what you've done in the flesh, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, sins forgiven, soul saved, taken to be with him and his body for eternity. It's like, well, well what about... I mean, I'm a Jew. What happens to Israel? You're not a Jew. You're part of the church of God. It is Jew, Gentile, church of God. Which one are you in? That's the question. If you say, well, I'm, I'm a Jewish Christian, you're confused. And you better choose one. 
and choose wisely. Well, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an African Christian. No, you're, you don't want to be an African Christian on Judgment Day. You either want to be, you want to be a Christian. You don't either want to be anything. You want to stand before God and say, I'm a, I, I am washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, I heard you on the street telling people you were an African Christian. Mm-mm, not me. <laughs> I am not. I, I heard you say, say that you were an American Christian. Mm-mm. I, I, don't, I don't even know what that is, Lord. <laughs> what is an American? <laughs> I am a Christian. I belong to Jesus Christ. That's it. When you start putting descriptors in front of that, you're separating people. And God has a lot to say about people who sow discord among the brethren. All right, so we don't have a, a special place for black Christians and a special place for white Christians and a special place for Asian Christians. You are in the body of Christ. That's it. So all this talk today about dividing the world, if you, you keep playing identity politics, do you know what happens? Rwanda in 1994 happens. That's what happens. You keep saying, well, those black people are over there doing that, and those white people are over there doing that, and, 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 and I'm tired of their white privilege, I'm tired of you know, this and that, and all, all based on identity, you're going to separate this world, and, and blood's going to flow. That's what's going to happen. I'm a Hutu. Well, I'm a Tutsi. Well, one of us is going to die. You don't separate what God has put together spiritually according to the flesh. You, you abandoned your flesh when you trusted in Jesus Christ. You gave it up. Now act like it. <laughs> and, and, and again, we're going to see that in just a second. Um, as a nation, they will be subject to the 70 weeks. Okay, so you have to distinguish. You have this 70 weeks. But God didn't say, Daniel, this 70 weeks is determined upon you. It's his people. Israel. Now, as an individual who belongs to Israel, if you trust in Christ, you're out. You're not, you're not, a, you're not Israel anymore. You're not a Jew anymore. If you're a Gentile, you trust in Christ. Whatever the future of the Gentiles is, it doesn't belong to you. You, you are now in the body of Christ. And so whatever happens to this body, that, that's where you're going. That's what's going to happen. You're going to rule and reign with Christ. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You've got a mansion waiting for you in heaven. You have an inheritance in heaven. That's who we are. We're, we are these special spoiled brats who get all these wonderful things only because we trusted in Jesus Christ when we had the opportunity. Guys are going to say, well, here's the mansions, but the, the black people go over there and, and we're going to put the, the Asian people over here. No, he's going to say, look at my bride. This is for my bride. Are you part of that bride? If you are, then there's no segregating the bride. Here's your inheritance. Here's your mansion. Here's, here's everything I promised you. Like, oh, but wait, she, she's black. So give her a little bit less. Don't let her have as much. Can you imagine Jesus Christ doing something like that? No, that's what men do. That's what people in the flesh do. And if you think your flesh is supposed to elevate you somehow in some way, and you claim to belong to Jesus Christ, you're a confused individual. You need to get your nose back in your Bible. 
God is no respecter of persons. He will cast you into hell no matter what color your skin is, and he will, he will take you to be with him in, in heaven no matter what color your skin is. So choose one. Now, once you enter the body of Christ, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile. Look at Galatians 3. Monica might not like heaven because it says that the bride's garment has been made white. And so her happy color is black. <laughs> Maybe it has some black design or something. <laughs> uh, just thought I'd throw that in there. That had nothing to do with anything. Galatians 3. Verses 26 through 28. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you as have been baptized into Christ. Now, what baptism is that? Spirit baptism. It, it never fails. Baptists read, oh, baptism. That's water baptism. No, it's not. Baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You see where this is going? You've been baptized into Christ, so you put on Christ. Yeah, but what about my skin color? Uh, you put on Christ. Your skin color is canceled out now. Doesn't count for anything. Uh, look at uh, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, before a bunch of transgender weirdos say, see, in, you know, in Christ, there's no male and female. There's a reason for that. In the Bible, the male always gets the inheritance. So how does God fix that? Sons of God. Once you're born again, you're made a son of God. Inheritance is all yours. Yeah, but I'm a female. According to God, you are one of the sons of God. Now you have an inheritance. Now, it says, but there's, but there's no male and there's no female. We have put on Christ. We are him. We are in him. We are part of his body. All right, so... I mean, if, if I say my left arm is part of my body, what gender is it? It doesn't have one. It, it belongs to me. We are members one of another, and we're part of the body of Jesus Christ. So I, I would say, well, Nyanzi's part of, the, part of his ankle. So, I mean, what's the gender of his ankle? It doesn't matter. There is no gender to an ankle. Get over it. It's that well, I am a male, and so because I'm a male, you know. And I've told, I've told you in here before, so one of my friends illustrates this beautifully. I, I was up one night with, I, I, when I lived in Egypt, my friend there, his, his name is David Gates. He and his wife, Miss Beth, they're missionaries there for a long time before they went back to the States. And um, we were up one night, we'd been up too late. You know when you stay up too late and everything's funny and it doesn't matter. <laughs> Somebody could fall down and you just laugh uncontrollably for no reason on and on and so we were we were up late we were getting that way and um he randomly looked at his wife and said you're a son of god and she said 
Well, you're part of the bride of Christ. <laughs> and that's it. Right? Are we male or female? Yes. Are we, are we you know, black or white? Are we Jew or Gentile? You, you, all that's gone. You put on Christ, you became part of his body. Whatever his body is, that's what you are. Everything else needs to be dropped. Colossians 3. See it again. Verses 10 through 11. Verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So if you want to say I'm a Christ Christian, okay, no problem, that'll work. (laughs) But that's it. That's That's who we are. That's what we are. So when I trusted in Jesus Christ, I gave up what I am in the flesh. And, and so when you go to these churches, whether they're black or white, today racism is, is more prevalent than it has ever been or has been in a long time. I don't know that I can say ever been, but has been in a long time for no reason. Because people want to, people are so proud of what they are in the flesh as though being black or being white was some sort of great accomplishment in life. You didn't accomplish anything. You were born that way. That's it. It's like, well, but there's such power in being a black African. Really? Where is this power exactly? I'd like you to demonstrate to me how this power has helped Africa. (laughs) It hasn't. So once you get out of that, while you can, and join Jesus Christ, where there is power, and there is help, and there is hope, and there is something to look forward to. But if your hope is, well, I'm a, I'm a, I have the strength of a black African. You live in the village, you're going to die eating matoke and go nowhere in life. And look, you can like that or not like that, but that's the reality. Right? Or you can trust in Jesus Christ and you will rule and reign the universe in the millennium with Jesus Christ. You choose. You can cling to your flesh all you want. It's, it's going nowhere. It doesn't matter what your background is. But you cling to Jesus Christ, that, that's, that'll take you somewhere. That's worth clinging to. Any individual that is, the, 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 key, the key word here is individual, from any nationality may escape the requirements of their physical birth through Jesus. But the nation of Israel is on a predefined trajectory that must be accomplished in prophetic fashion. It's going to happen. All right, so the Jews, this is their future, 490 years. Uh, Israel's salvation. Let's, do we have time to read this? Um, maybe. Let's go to Zechariah 12. Let's see how long it is. Um, Zechariah, the last three or four chapters of Zechariah really majors on the return of the Lord and this battle that will be taking place. Uh, at that time, and it, and it really does a lot to describe their, the, the coming salvation for Israel. Um, let me see how long this is, or if we have time to read it. That's yeah, not too bad. So we'll read verse 1, 12, 1 to 13, 1. Ready? Go. No, just kidding. <laughs> verse 1. The burden, of the, the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel 
saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of, of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all people round about when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. Now, does that not perfectly fit the context of Daniel 9? Who are Daniel's people? Israel, but even more specifically, who are Daniel's people? Judah, the southern, the southern kingdom. What's Daniel's city? Where's Judah from? Jerusalem. All right, verse 3. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Now, you tell me you want to be a Jew when your future is literally all the people of the earth gathered against you. <laughs> no, thank you. I'd rather ride back on a white horse with Jesus and watch him kill everybody and just do that. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be part of this. Uh, verse 4, In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness, and I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness and the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength, and the Lord of hosts their God. And that day will I make the governors of Judah like an hearth of fire among the wood, and like a torch of fire in a sheaf. And they shall devour the people round about uh, on the right hand and on the left, and Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. And the Lord shall... Save the tents. Now, now, if the Lord is saying this, that this is prophetic in the future. What does that mean about the current nation that's there? It has nothing to do with God. That's a Gentile establishment. God said, I'm going to, I'm going to establish Jerusalem in the future. It hasn't been done yet. All right, verse 7. The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first. That the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at, at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, and as the angel of the Lord before them. And, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as, as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadad Ramon in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart and, and their wives apart, the family of Shimei apart and their wives apart, all the families that remain, every family apart and their wives apart, verse 13 or chapter 13, verse 1. In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And so you go on through chapter 13 and chapter 14, and the Lord comes back. And look, look at chapter 13, verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, 
and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And I will turn my head upon the little ones, and it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut, cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein, and I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God." Finally, it takes all of this before Israel finally says, okay, we submit to God. Now, they'll tell you they belong to God right now and could care less about God. Don't do a single thing he says. And so these chapters lay out these end time battles that are going to take place. And it'll be Jesus Christ himself that comes back. And all that that we read about them mourning in chapter 12, that's directly related to Revelation chapter 1. Um, you know, every nation, every kindred, every tongue, they will mourn because of him when they see him. Uh, so all that is, is part of that. Um, and that's, that's the salvation of Israel. Now, number four, to bring everlasting righteousness. We've got to hurry, hurry. Um, we don't have time to read it, but Jeremiah 31, verses 33 through 34, the Lord makes a covenant with the house of Israel. And it and again talks about that day of salvation that's coming. But first, first, 490 years of chastisement and judgment. <laughs> salvation is coming, but you're gonna you're gonna pay, you're gonna deal with what you've done first. This is this is the this is the problem that people don't think about when they say, I believe my good works can get me into heaven. Are you sure you want to do that? Because God might say, Well, let me take you up on that. Because Israel is a is, you know, they're in terms of going to paradise. It's by by faith. It is by grace and faith in what God said to them. Right. That's Hebrews 11. These all died in faith. But they also were required to keep works in order to remain in the land. And they failed to do that. And so because you would not do what God said to do to stay in the land, God has removed them. You don't want God to hold you accountable based on your works. Now, eventually Christ will return. David will be restored to the throne and Israel, Israel will rule over the nations. Christ will reign in righteousness. Right? He's bringing in everlasting righteousness and, and that righteousness will be an everlasting righteousness. Verse five or number five to seal up the vision and the prophecy. Um, Daniel is given multiple revelations and visions and then told to seal them up for later. In Daniel 8.26, he shut up the matter. In Daniel 9.24, seal up the vision and the prophecy. Daniel 12.4, and seal the book. Daniel 12.9, closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Now, if all this is true, and it is, then it indicates we should have some expectation of struggling to fully understand this book. There's just going to be some things... God's not ready to reveal to us yet. Not until the end. And what is the end? The end of the tribulation and the coming of, second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's when you can expect to fully understand everything in this book. This sealing in part and the blindness of Israel will last until the fullness of the Gentiles. We read that already in Romans eleven twenty five. 25. Um, it says that Israel has blindness in part. 
And it's going to stay that way un- until the fullness of the Gentiles, till the, till the, to the, right at the very end, as we just read in Zechariah you know, 12, 13, and 14, it's going to take all the way to the very end before that they, they're finally ready to call upon God and remove that blindness. They just almost cling to it. And uh, the same is true for Gentiles. And, and, and most of you here know 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 5. Blindness is caused by unbelief. It's caused by rejecting what God told you. It's caused, it's caused by, by not trusting the Lord. And so um, that's, that's why they're in the trouble they're in. Now, number six, the last one, anoint the most holy. I will try to look at a few of these. I've got quite a few references here, but let me give you this foundation real quick. The most holy appears to be a place. Christ has already been anointed. Uh, There doesn't seem to be place for another anointing of the Lord. It could be, but I believe there is plenty of evidence for this being a place, not a person. Uh, This may be another reference to the temple that Ezekiel prophesied of. Look Look quickly at Exodus 26, and uh, we'll read verses 31 through 34. We'll read as much of this as much as many of these references as we can quickly. This one's really important. Uh, those of you in my Sunday school class, or what was my Sunday school class, you're already somewhat familiar with this, but this is incredible material. All right, Exodus 26, 31 through 34. Um, And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of cunning work and cherubim shall it it be made. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shittim shittim wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. And thou shalt hang up the veil under the tatches that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil the ark of the testimony and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the what? Most holy. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. All right. Now that takes us. That's a direct reference back to Daniel. Now I want to show you something very interesting about this. This is a picture of Jesus Christ. Everything that we just read about. Now hold your place there and look real quick in Hebrews 10. Now, what do we just read? They, they made this veil, and that veil is supported by four pillars, right? And they're going to hang that veil on four pillars, and, and that veil is going to divide men from the, ho- the holy place to the most holy. You can't just walk into the most holy. God himself would strike you dead. All right, this is in the tabernacle. This is, then it's then transferred over to the temple later when the temple is built. And so you, you can't just walk into the most holy. Even the high priest could only do it certain times a year. And it, it, there was a heavy process for it. it. had to be done just right. So how can you get into the most holy place? Well, Hebrews 10, um, verses 19 and 20. Verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. All right. Now, there's that veil we just read about in in Exodus, right? That veil keeps you. it, It divides you. It keeps you out of the holy place. Well, this is telling you that through the blood of Jesus, you can enter into the holiest, into the holy, the holy place. 
through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. That's God manifest in the flesh. And so they took this veil in Exodus and they, 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 they took that, that veil and they hung it on four pillars. All right. This is a beautiful drawing. This is exactly what it looked like, probably. All right. Now, behind this, the, behind this veil is the most holy place. You don't go in there. God would strike you dead. But through Jesus Christ, that is to say, his flesh, through his blood, we can walk right in. Now, this veil is hung on four pillars. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You can't know who Jesus Christ is in the flesh is without the four pillars to tell you who he is. Matthew tells you he's a king. Mark tells you he's a servant. Luke presents the man Christ Jesus. And John presents the deity of Jesus Christ. He is God. You've got to have all four to know who Jesus Christ is and to get into the holiest of all. And it's completely available to us through Jesus Christ. All right, so, but, but in Exodus, this was a place that you could enter into. Now turn to First uh, Kings chapter six. Let's look at these real fast. Uh, verses fourteen through seventeen. First Kings six fourteen through seventeen, and you'll see this again. So Solomon built the house. Now we've gone from the tabernacle to the temple, and finished it. And he built the walls of the house within the boards of cedar, both the floor of the house and the walls of the ceiling. And he covered them on the inside with wood and covered the floor of the house with planks of fir. And he built 20 cubits on the sides of the house, both the the floor and and the walls, with boards of cedar. He built, even built them for it within, even for the oracle, even for the most holy place. So they're building this into the temple. Look at chapter 7. And let's read verses 48 through 50. 48 through 50. And Solomon made all the vessels that pertained unto the house of the Lord, the altar of gold and the table of gold, whereupon the showbread was, and the candlesticks of pure gold, five on the right side, five on the left, before the oracle uh, with the flowers and the lamps and the tongs of gold, and the bowls of the snuffers. That's a word that uh, Brother Gross had a good time with. Uh, And the basins and the spoons and the censers of pure gold and the hinges of gold, both of the doors of the inner house, the most holy place. So are you seeing what's happening here? Daniel said this 490 years, the last thing that's going to be done is going to anoint the most holy. Well, I think it's I think it's bringing back Ezekiel's temple and, and making that available. And then that's directly related to that 2,300 days that we talked about in Daniel 8 and, and suggested that, that the temple would be cleansed at the end of that 2,300 days. That might be when Ezekiel's temple is brought in and all of this is put into place. Look at uh, chapter 8, verse 5 and 6. And King Solomon, all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him, were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen, 
that could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place, into the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the, four, uh, even under the wings and the cherubims. Uh, look at Ezekiel 41. Now, what we just read was Solomon's temple, right? What we're about to read now is Ezekiel's temple. This, this is the temple in the millennium. This is the future temple. This is not the one that Israel is going to build that, that goes through tribulation. This is, this is the temple that's going to, that's going to come in, in, in the future that, that Ezekiel is laying out here. Ezekiel 41 and um, verses 1 through 14. We'll read them real fast. Afterward, he brought me to the temple and measured the post six cubits broad on the, on the one side and six cubits broad on the other side, which was the breadth of the tabernacle. And, and the breadth of the door was ten cubits, and the sides of the door were five cubits on the one side and five cubits on the other side. And he measured the length thereof, forty cubits, and the breadth twenty cubits. Then went he inward to, to measure and, and measured the post of the door, two cubits, and the door uh, six cubits, and the breadth of the door seven cubits. So he measured the length thereof, twenty cubits, and the breadth twenty, uh, twenty cubits before the temple, and he said unto, the, unto me, this is the most holy place. This is in that future temple. This is in, in um, Ezekiel's temple that's coming in the future. Verse 5, after, after he measured the wall of the house, six cubits in the breadth of every side of the chamber, four cubits round about the house on every side. The side chambers were three, one, one over another, and 30 in order. And they entered into the wall, which was... Uh, of the house for the side chambers round about that they might have hold, but they have not hold in the wall of the house. And there is an enlarging and a winding about uh, still upward to the side chambers for the winding about of the house went still upward round about the house. Therefore, the breadth of the house was still upward and so increased from the lowest chamber to the highest by the mist. I saw also the height of the house round about the foundations of the side chambers were a full reed of six great cubits. The thickness of the wall, uh, which was for the side chamber without, was five cubits. And uh, that which was left was the place of the side chamber, uh, chambers that were within. And between the chambers was the wideness of 20 cubits uh, round about the house on every side. And the doors of the side chambers were toward the place that was left, one door toward the north and another toward the south. And the breadth of the place that uh, was left was five cubits round about. Now the building that was before the separate place at the end toward the west was 70 cubits broad. And the wall of the building was five cubits thick round about and the length thereof 90 cubits. So he measured the house and 100 cubits long and uh, the, the separate place and the building uh, with the walls thereof and hundred cubits long, also the breadth of the face to the house and the separate place toward the east and hundred cubits. Uh, chapter 45, verse 3. All right, we, we need to go to 44. I just made a mistake. I read 1 through 14 in the wrong chapter. We just need to verse 4 in Ezekiel 41. Um, but you, you need to see some of this. We won't read all of it, but we'll read some of it so you get get the gist of it. Uh, chapter 44, we'll start in verse 1 and we'll read a, 
We'll read about six or eight verses and, and let you get the idea. This is very interesting. Verse 1, Then he brought me back the way to the gate uh, of the outward sanctuary, which looketh toward the east, and it was shut. Then said the Lord unto me, This gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no man shall enter in by it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, hath entered in by it. Therefore it shall be shut. It is for the prince, the prince, he shall sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the porch of the gate of that gate and shall go out by the way of the same. Then brought he me the way of the north gate before the house. And I looked and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And I fell upon my face and the Lord said unto me, son of man, mark well and and behold with thine eyes and uh, hear with thine ears. Uh, all that I say unto thee concerning all the, all the ordinances of the house of the Lord and all the laws thereof, and mark well the entering in of the house uh, with every going forth of the sanctuary. And thou shalt say uh, to, the, to the rebellious, even to the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, O ye house of Israel, let it suffice you of all your abominations, and that ye have brought into my sanctuary strangers, uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh to be in my sanctuary to pollute it. Even my house, when ye offer my bread and fat and and the blood, and they have broken my covenant because of all your abominations, and ye have not kept the charge of mine holy things, but ye have set keepers of my charge and my sanctuary. Thus saith the Lord God, no stranger uncircumcised. And, And it goes on there down to verse 14. So now this is what's significant about that. Here's what he just said in in 43, no, 41. He gave you the measurements of the new house. I mean, it's very detailed. And of course, in that is the holy place. All right. Or the most holy place. All right. Now, what he just said in 44, the Lord said, this is the way I'm going to enter the house. And when Ezekiel walked in and 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 he's walking this path through the temple, he goes in and there's the glory of God. It's been gone all these years. In fact, in, in the early chapters of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is in captivity in Babylon and, he, and, and he's given a vision from God before Babylon goes and destroys the temple. God goes in the temple, takes the Ark of the Covenant, takes the glory of God, and it leaves, I believe, out of the east, which is exactly what the Lord said. When I come back, I'm coming in through the east. I'm going to go back into that house. You'll shut that gate. Nobody else will come through that gate. Only I come through that gate, and the glory of God will have returned to the most holy place. So that's why I think it's all connected to that 2,300 um, days and the rebuilding of Ezekiel's temple and then the Lord returning. And then one last passage, look at 45 verse 3. Again, I believe it's about the, the glory of the Lord. And of this measure shalt thou measure the length of five and twenty thousand and the breadth of ten thousand. It shall be the sanctuary and the most holy place. So the anointing of the most holy could very well be a reference to Ezekiel's temple and the return of the Lord. Finally, you know, they, we've, we've read so much 
in this class about um, Cyrus sending Judah back and they rebuilt that temple and, and, and had their temple there. There's no Ark of the Covenant there. Not unless they made one and put it in there. And they might have. They might have just made one and put it in there. But it's not the Ark of the Covenant. You know, there's a church in Ethiopia and they say, we have the, the Ark of the Covenant. If you, if you try to go in that church, they'll kill you. If you're, not, you're not permitted to go in there in, in, in Ethiopia. Well, they might have something that Israel made that looked like the Ark of the Covenant, but it's not the Ark of the Covenant. The glory of God never returned to that temple. Well, in Ezekiel's temple, it will return. They'll anoint the most holy place or the most holy. So uh, that's at least my idea. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.